Well, good morning, church. It's time to come around the Word of God. Let's just get into prayer together before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come around the Word of God. Anoint my lips today, Father. Anoint my lips to speak your words. And Lord, anoint our ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us today. Anoint our hearts to hear and to understand. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 11. <clears throat> a very common story um, that Jesus told, a parable actually he told in the Bible, um, the parable of the two sons. And what I want to talk to us about today is two sons and two churches. You know, Pastor Jeremy has started a new series that we are the church the people, of course, we know that. But sometimes we look at the church buildings and think the church is vacant, the church is empty. But you know what? No, the church is alive and well. And we're going to have a look at two churches today and we're going to have a look at two sons. And we're going to start here in the book of Luke. So if you have a tablet or a phone or a Bible, I've got my Bible with me here today in a written form. But however you have it, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 15 and we're going to get started. Verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... I love that. Sorry. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Then he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. 
Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This parable is often known as the parable of the prodigal son, but actually it's called the parable of the two sons because I believe the lesson God wants us to learn from this parable is equally about both sons, not just the prodigal son. And the two churches we're going to have a look at in the book of Revelation, they're also matching the lifestyle of these two sons. And I believe God wants us to learn something from this today. All right. First of all, I want to point something out. These two young men are sons in the father's house. The father seems to be well off. He has a lot of servants. He has abundance. In fact, he has so much abundance that when the younger son asks for his inheritance, he's actually able to provide it to him straight away. Um, it says that he divided all of his livelihood amongst the two of them. Now, when we first read this story, it's so easy to think, ah, oh, that younger son, he is dreadful. He's terrible. Why would he do that to his father? Why would he just squander all his wealth and just be so irresponsible? And we can easily see his mistakes. They're glaringly obvious to us as we read through that account. But really, some of us perhaps aren't really so different than the prodigal son. We may not have such an obvious display uh, in our lives that we just want to do our own thing. But there is something within a lot of us, within the human heart, that just wants to do their own thing, go their own way. I was thinking about this the other day. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. And sometimes we can think, that we are following Jesus really well. But what does a follower do? A follower follows. Funny that, hey? But a follower follows. They don't lead. And you see, I was thinking about those disciples. They would walk with Jesus every day. But when they got up in the morning and they came to Jesus, I don't believe they had a big long list, a to-do list that said, right, Jesus, today you're going here with us. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to perform this miracle. And then we're going to end up here for lunch. And then we're going over here in the afternoon. And you're, you're going to be expected to speak and do this and do that. They didn't present to Jesus with their list for the day. They presented to Jesus and waited for his list, for his instructions. And see, some of us are just like this prodigal son. He had the desire that I want to live life my way. I want to be in charge. I don't want the father telling me what to do and how to do it and when to do it and why to do it. I just want to get out there and do things the way I think they should be done. He had an attitude that said, I'm not satisfied. 
I want more. I want to experience more than what's in my father's house. You know, today there is the lure of the world, stronger, I believe, than ever before, to lure us away from the father's house and into other pleasures, things that appear to be pleasures. But as this prodigal son found out, those pleasures were very short-lived. The devil might be trying to entice you in all manner of ways. Maybe he's making you think that your family is not the best place for you. Some other relationship would be far better. You know what? That is a lie. You're going to end up like this guy in the pig pen with nothing. Finally realizing that all those lies, all those things that you were tempted with have actually been a whole heap of nothing, nothing of substance. God has already blessed you with so much. Just like this prodigal son, he was in a loving home. He was in an environment where he was valued, where he had a position of authority. But he left it all because he was lured away by his lust and pleasures for other things. What is it that's captivated your attention away from God? What is it that's stealing your heart and making you desire something more than a loving relationship with your heavenly father? I want to just flip now to Revelation. We're going to come back to this account in Luke 15, but we're just going to skip to Revelation. There were seven letters that Jesus instructed John to write to the churches in Revelation. And he instructed these letters to be written, not just for the existing churches at the time, but for the entire church age. But there's two of them, two of these letters of the seven that I want to have a look at because I believe they directly relate to these two sons and the attitude that they had. So why don't we go over to Revelation chapter 2. Actually, we'll go to Revelation chapter 3 and we'll come back to chapter 2. So Revelation chapter 3, we're actually going to read the very last letter to the seventh church that Jesus uh, gave to John to write for us. So, um, sorry, just turning now. I'm really just taking a little bit longer so you all can find it too. <laughs> all right. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Uh, sorry, uh, gold refined in the fire, I skipped a bit. That you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, how does this link in with what we just read about the first son the father had, the prodigal son? Well, let me point out to you uh, verse um, 17. The people in this church felt like they were rich. They'd become wealthy and they had need of nothing. That's exactly like the prodigal son. He was given everything, all of his inheritance. He was wealthy. He was rich. He didn't need anything. He didn't even need his father anymore, apparently. But it's a deception. And this is what Jesus is saying to this church. The moment you think you are self-sufficient, you are deceived. We will never be self-sufficient from God. We will only be dependent on him always. That's the plan. He wants to be our provider. He wants to be um, the one that we turn to for everything that we acknowledge as the one who helps us with everything. He wants a loving relationship where he's the strong one and we rely on him. But this church felt like they were strong. Now, many, many people have probably spoken over the years about the Laodicean church, particularly the verses about if you're not hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And there's been many messages preached about being on fire for God, hot for God. But here he's saying you could be cold or hot. And that would be okay, but lukewarm is not okay. So what is he talking about? For starters, let's go back to the ancient Laodicean uh, landscape. When we look at this city, it is um, set where there isn't any water of its own. They had aqueducts built from other places to bring water into the town. Now, one of these came from a fresh water stream. It was beautiful and it was cold water. They used this water for drinking in their city. There was another one, however, that came from another location and it brought warm, mineralized water from the springs that bubbled out of the earth. This water was hot and it was used for all kinds of medicinal purposes, for bathing, for cleaning. But the problem was that was not drinking water. And if you had water that was the cold and the hot mixed together, it could make you very sick. That's why this says, I will spew you out of my mouth. We can never combine our own self-effort with the grace of God. He does not want the mixture. It's all or nothing. And, and these people were blinded to the fact that they desperately needed God. They were trying to clothe themselves. They were trying to do enough of their own, um, you know, whatever uh, confessions or plans to make themselves wealthy. But wealth is not the goal. Being rich was not the goal. Being in a relationship with Jesus was the goal. And that's why a little bit further down, he says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. I want to come and have fellowship with you. I want to sup with you. 
I want to be in your life, deeply and intimately involved in your life. These people had shut God out, even though they had the name church or Christian, they were actually living in a state of their own pursuit of their own lust and desires of things. Other things had crept in and taken away the position that God should have had in their life. Okay, the counsel that Jesus had for them. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. I actually thank God, you know, for the hard times in my life because the hard times in my life have actually strengthened me the most in my faith in Jesus Christ. They've also shown me that I am not as great or as big or as grand or as faith-filled as I thought I was. I actually am just like everybody else in need of a savior. And that's the place I want to remain in awe and wonder of the King of Kings who saved me, who ransomed me, who rescued me, who redeemed me. I want to live my life in awe of him. I don't want my boast to be in my ability. I want it to be in God and I want my pursuit to be of him. Gold refined in the fire. Sometimes we need to go through the hard times because our hearts can be so hardened. Just like that prodigal son, it wasn't until he actually had spent everything, was now in want that he began to realize he was not doing a great job of providing for himself, of getting all the things he dreamed of. He wasn't doing a great job of being his own God. He actually had to turn back to the Lord. And sometimes we have to go through those harder times that our heart can be softened and we can realize our mistakes, realize that we've been drawn away and enticed by other things. And that to buy white garments that you may be clothed, clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You know, Jesus has a robe of righteousness he wants to put on us. And it's not our efforts that's going to make us clean. It's running back into the father's arms. Just like that prodigal son, he came home and the father put a fresh robe upon him, a clean robe upon him, a new robe upon him. And that's what God wants to do for you. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen. What matters is that you run back to the father because he can cleanse you. He can forgive you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he can give you a fresh future and a fresh hope and restore you to where you're meant to be a son of the father or a daughter of the father of the most high God. Wow. Wow. He is God. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You know, that's what happened to the prodigal son. He's in the pig pen and suddenly he realizes, you know what, even the servants in my father's house have it so much better than me. I need to return. Oh Lord, may we have an awakening in our hearts that we begin to see ourselves as we truly are and that we run back to you, into your arms, that we get right with you. And that, Lord, we receive the forgiveness and the restoration that you have for us. Wow, that prodigal son discovered a love beyond anything he could comprehend. What I love about that story in Luke 15 
is that the father was waiting. He knew his son would come to a point where he would realize that all the enticements of the world would leave him hungry and empty, broken and destitute. So he was waiting for the day for his son to return. Every day it says he was waiting, scanning the horizon, looking, anticipating the moment his son came back. And what did he do? He gathered up his robes and he ran towards his son. You know what? In Jewish culture, the, the, the senior men don't run. That is so undignified. But this father didn't care about anything except reuniting with his son. He ran to meet him, it says, and he threw his arms around him. I also like this other thing I really want to point out. The son had his speech all prepared. You know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But when he gets there, he starts his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get the rest of his speech out. The father jumps in and he's like, servants, bring a fresh robe, bring the ring of authority, the family crest, put it on his finger, kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate that our one who was lost has come home. He's been found. Such was the reception. I'm sure the son, until the day he died, never forgot the unmerited favor the unconditional love that that father poured out and lavished on him. You know, the scripture tells us the one who's been forgiven much loves much. I can just imagine this son with tears streaming down his face, looking into daddy's eyes and just seeing love that he didn't earn, that he didn't deserve. But it was there and it was genuine and it was true. And it was a healing love, a forgiving love, a restoring love. That's what your heavenly father has for you. Don't run from him, run to him. Because what he has for you is so much more than you could ever grasp. His love is so deep, so profound, so amazing. You just want to follow him. You just want to get in behind him and go wherever he goes and do whatever he does and, and be wherever he is because he is love, true love, love without any impure motivations. That's the kind of God that loves you and me. I think we can learn so much from this and from um, Jesus's letter here to the Laodicean church. Let us not be in pursuit of the things of this world, the wealth, the prestige, the power that this world has. Let us not be in pursuit of the prosperity of this earth, but rather that we would prosper in our soul, that we would be close to the one who made everything we can see. Let us pursue him, that we may have something of worth to give back to him. I want to um, close out this letter the way that Jesus did to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What an incredible promise. These people didn't deserve this. They don't deserve to reign with Christ. They've been walking in their own pursuit of their own, you know, desires and lust and pleasures. And yet, 
if they would just come and return, if they would just open the door to Jesus and allow him to fill that spot in their hearts. He has a beautiful promise with them. You can be seated with me. You can reign with me. And that's exactly what happened with the prodigal son. The ring of authority was given to him. He was restored. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it in any way. But that wonderful love restored him beyond his wildest dreams. And that is amazing. And I believe that's the lesson of the prodigal son. But let's go a little bit further now. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. And let's have a look at the second son. Because remember, it was the story of two sons, not just the prodigal one. And I'm sure we've all had times where we can relate to the prodigal son. But how about the second son? All right, well, let's pick up um, his story in verse 25. If you're back there with me, Luke 15, 25. Now, his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. Let me pause there. I remember reading that this father had servants. So he only had two sons, though. This son has been acting like a servant his entire life. He says, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Wow, that's a big statement to make, isn't it? Never Never transgressed his commandment. Always been the perfect, obedient son. Somehow I find that just a little bit hard to believe. And yet you never gave me a young goat, he says, that I might, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, notice he didn't even call him his brother. It's just this son of yours. He didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, as soon as he came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Well, how did he know that? He's making an assumption because he hasn't even talked to the brother yet. He hasn't even seen him. He won't even go in and acknowledge his existence or presence in the house. So how does he know what he spent his money on? Interesting, isn't it? And he says, you killed the fatted calf for him. He's so disgusted. He, he has like this abhorrence to his brother. He can't even call him his brother. It's just that son of yours. And look what the father's response. Son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. I actually wonder which of these sons grieved the heart of the father more. The prodigal son who went off in search of something that he already had 
in fact something that he couldn't get anywhere else the love and acceptance and peace and serenity of his father's house but see the father somehow knew that that son would come back and that that son would love him even more because he realized his own unworthiness but the second son never behaved like a son he wasn't acting like a son he was acting like another servant you know the father doesn't want another servant he could hire as many servants as he wanted or needed his household was not in need of another servant his household was in need of a son sons that's where his love and his passion lie in his sons but this son even though he's a son, has no relationship with the father apart from serving him and keeping all his commands. There was no relationship. There was no love. He doesn't talk about how much he loves the father. He just talks about all the things he's done for him. You know, this second son has a religious spirit. He has a prideful spirit. He cannot even see his own shortcomings. He can't see that he's full of judgment to other people. He can't see that he's full of self-righteousness. He can't even see his own mistakes. He truly believes that he's been able to keep every commandment his father has ever given him. You know, when Jesus came, he showed us the true standard of the law. Um, people asked him some questions and Jesus responded and, and they're like, well, I've always done that. I've always kept all the commandments. But Jesus would go further and say, well, you may never have committed adultery, but even if you've looked at someone with lust in your eyes, <laughs> you've committed adultery in your heart. You see, this son had the outward appearance of the perfect son, but he wasn't even behaving like a son. He was just simply serving his father. And I really feel strongly that God has a message for some of his sons and daughters today. You are not living the kind of life that your father wants and desires for you to live. You are caught up in a legalistic bondage where you are trying to please God all the time, do enough for him to qualify for a fatted calf to be killed for you. But the father makes known to this son, son, everything I have is yours. You could have filled a, killed a fatted calf and had a party every single day if you had have wanted to. It was yours for the taking. But his, his view of the father, he didn't even understand the generous heart of his father, the loving heart of his father. He thought his father was so mean and, and, and hard to please. But that was not anything like who God is. You know, sometimes I wonder, are we portraying to the world the true image of who our father is? Or are we saying he's a hard taskmaster? We work hard to serve him, to please him, to do everything right, to be perfect sons and daughters. We're not supposed to be living a stressed out life, trying to please God every second of the day in our own strength. We're actually called into a relationship with him. And this is where the second son missed it and how it must have grieved the father's heart. One son left home, but the one son who remained never even acted like a son in the own home. 
It was like he had no sons because the other son was constantly with the servants, serving his father. But the father just wanted the fellowship with his son. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha doing so much for Jesus because she loved him. But Mary sat at his feet and learned from him. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better part. Sometimes I think we're worried that we're not doing enough for God. But the number one thing we can do is to sit in his presence and listen to him. Listen to him share his heart with us. That is what God is desiring. He wants relationship. Let's look at that second church now um, in Revelation because it really describes this second son and his attitude. So we're going to go back to Revelation. Now we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2 and we're going to look at verse 1 to 7. So Revelation, let me find it here. Chapter 2. You staying with me? <laughs> oh, I wish I could see you all, but it won't be long. Won't be long. All right. So Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 1. The very first letter that Jesus gives John to write to the churches. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. These guys sound amazing, right? What a report card. I mean, what a... A thing for Jesus to say, man, you've just been working and working and working and working for me and you're still not weary. You, you're just hanging in there for all that you've got. Well, this must be the perfect church, right? This must be the church that God just wants to rave about and just say, look at my people. They're just so awesome. I'm so proud of them. They're working so hard for me. But that's not what he says. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Can you see that there's a similar theme here to that second son? Let's have a look at their checklist again. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. Wow, these guys have been so religious, so superior, so moral and upright. You know, they can't even bear those who are evil. I can imagine their faces very similar to that of the second son. When he was invited to come and join the party for the prodigal son, his brother, no way, I'm not going anywhere near him. These people couldn't bear those who were evil. 
They tested those who said they were apostles and were not and found them to be liars. They were diligent to make sure that people were, you know, teaching the word of God correctly. It sounds like they were doing everything right. They had persevered. Again, it says, you have patience and you have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. These people were doing so much for God. But that's not what he wanted from them. They had lost their love of God. You know, sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in the doing and just forget that really underneath all of that, God could use a donkey, can use an angel, he can use anything to do for him. But he only has one family. You and I are sons and daughters of God when we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're his family. He doesn't just want us rushing around doing everything for him. He wants us to know him. That's the heart cry of God. He wants us to know him, to be close to him, to have a really tight relationship with him. He wants us to love him because he loves us so much. You know, I delight to serve my family, to get up and to do things for them and to help them in whatever way I can. But if that's all I ever did and I never really talked to them, I never sat down and had time with them, you know, if I just did, 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 did all the time, did the housework, did the cooking, did the cleaning, did all of these things for them, but never entered into a relationship with them. They wouldn't know my love. They wouldn't feel loved or valued. And that's why Jesus is saying the best thing Mary has chosen to sit at my feet and get to know me. And so this is what he is exhorting this church here to do. Repent. Come back to your first love. Do you remember the moment you were awakened? Do you remember the moment that your whole life changed because the light of the world came and revealed himself to you? Do you remember that moment that Jesus captivated your heart and nothing else mattered? That's what he wants. Can you imagine a church filled to capacity with the love of God and overflowing, heading out into their community? They wouldn't be looking at all the prodigals saying, don't come near me, you're not worthy. They would be out there saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Let me point you in the direction of the greatest miracle worker ever. The one who did a miracle in my heart and changed me. And, and we, would just, we would just want to tell everyone about Jesus. Not about all the things we've done. Do you like being around people who just constantly tell you all the things they've done? I do this and I do that and I do this. And did I tell you about the time I did that? After a while, you're like, yeah, let me play you the violin. You're great. You're amazing. And I feel lousy. <laughs> I could never compare to you. You know what? Let's not boast in ourselves. Let's boast in Jesus, in what he has done for us. And look at the beautiful promise, if these people repent, that Jesus has for them. To him who overcomes, I will give to him, sorry, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. 
Jesus promises us everlasting life that we can enter into when we have a relationship with him. What a beautiful promise, not just going through the motions, but actually alive, fully alive, coming alive to God. That is what it's all about. Two sons, two churches, and I believe there's lessons to be learned from both of these. I want to finish off today in Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to turn there or scroll there or whatever medium you're using, uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, we'll close out with this thought. So Galatians, Ephesians. All right. And um, I'm going to read from verse 1. Uh, sorry. Yeah. 1 through to 10. And you, you he made alive, who were dead and trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, just like the prodigal son, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. I love how God just puts us all in the same category and says, you know what, (laughs) you all need me. (laughs) Rich, poor, young, old, sophisticated or completely the other way. We all need Jesus. Verse 4 has to be one of the best verses in the Bible. But... God. Oh, we would all be lost in the hopelessness of our sin. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly in Christ Jesus. I just want to just interject something there. Did you catch that? He made us alive. Remember he promised that first church of Ephesus. I will give you to eat of the tree of life. And then it says he raised us up and made us sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. Remember the promise to the last church, the Laodicean church, that I will give you the power and the authority to sit with me on my throne. And how is all this possible? Let's read. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he, Jesus, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them That is the good news, my friends. That is the gospel. If you've ever wondered what is the gospel, the gospel is a word that means good news. 
Today I have good news for you. Such good news. The good news is that there is a God, a Father in heaven, who loves you so much. He sent his only begotten son to die in your place. He lived a perfect sinless life to take the penalty for your mistakes, your sins. And even if you don't feel like you've been like the prodigal son, your own self-righteousness is so disgusting in the nose and the nostrils of God. We can't ever boast in our works because even when we do good works, we often do it from an impure heart. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the gospel is that there's good news, even though we've all sinned and fallen short of his glorious standard. He sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever would believe on him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. You know, I want to give us an opportunity today to meet this incredible Jesus. If you are out there and you've never actually received him as your Lord and Savior, then I want to give you an opportunity today. Also, if you are thinking, Anita, that's me. I, I've been like one of those two sons. I've been in pursuit of the wrong things. I've been after the things that please my flesh. I just need to run back into the arms of my loving father. Or maybe you're like the other son and you've been working so hard to please God, but you just don't ever feel like you're, you're, you're getting there, like you're ever quite pleasing him enough. Today, I want to see you released of that heavy burden. I want to see you just completely set free to receive the love of the Father. You're not just a servant of God, you're a son and a daughter of God, and he wants to liberate you today. I'm going to just take us through a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's just something if, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, you can raise your hand in the chat there today. There's a function you can click on raise hand and just say, this is me, I'm acknowledging. I'm putting my hand up and saying, let me be part of that prayer um, and let us pray together today. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose to follow you from this day on forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. And let's go out there and be the church filled with the love of the Father. Amen. Be blessed.